Lord, our hearts cry out, amen and amen. It means we agree. God, the collective voices just now, the apologetic of what we believe, it strengthens the brethren. It strengthens brothers and sisters in Christ to hear those around us proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, I was so ministered by watching you be lifted up with our people. God, we thank you that you arose. We thank you that though they were guarding your tomb in vain, you broke through that bondage. And God, there's bondage in our life. There's vices in our life that, Lord, you want to break this morning through the powerful resurrection of you. And God, I ask that, Lord, you would, Holy Spirit of God right now, that you would bind all demonic power from this place, that they would not be able to, uh, no fiery darts into our minds, nothing, that we would lock into the scriptures. That God, for the believer that's here this morning, that we would realize the resurrection means everything. And then God, for if there's an individual here that does not know where they'd spend eternity, that they would come to the realization that Easter and the resurrection, that it does, it changes everything. It changes the entire trajectory of their life and ultimately their eternity. And God, may your spirit work in a way that is pleasing unto you and in a fashion that you desire. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated, children. You may be dismissed for uh, Kids Church. We like the kids to be in here with the adults uh, for for worship. And uh, this would be sixth grade and below. Uh, you can just follow Sarah in the back there. And they're going to go over. Parents, if you're wondering where they're going to go, uh, over into the fellowship hall over there. They're going to have uh, a kid's time of, uh, of Bible study. And then they're going to be brought back here uh, for family portraits. And we hope that you all will uh, take some uh, family portraits. Whether you coordinate it or not, I don't even think I match my family, but that's okay. We're going to still uh, have uh, a good time here this morning. Easter, it's a special time. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is indeed the greatest event of all time. It's the most powerful event in human history. It's more powerful than volcanic eruptions, devastating earthquakes, floods, hurricanes, tsunamis, or even nuclear explosion. In fact, it's more powerful than all of the Avengers combined. Now you're saying, wait a minute, Ryan. Even like Iron Man? Now that I have your attention, yes, even Iron Man. And the reason I say this is because the resurrection of Jesus caused history to split into two parts, B.C. and A.D., Now, that is what I call powerful. In fact, it's so powerful that it can change the direction of the course of every single person's life in here. Now, some of you may have caught the discrepancy of what I just said earlier, because it was the birth of Jesus Christ, not the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that split B.C. and A.D. I get that. But let me for a moment make this proposition to you. If it were not for the resurrection, there would be no reason to record the even birth of 
the Nazarene, Jesus Christ. In fact, it was, if it were not for the resurrection, there would be no need to even celebrate Easter and, or, or Christmas. And we love Christmas, let alone any given Sunday where believers come and they make worship unto their Savior. Now, in our society that we live in, people say, eh, so what? So what if Jesus is alive or not? What difference does Easter make and how does it apply to me? How can something that happened some 2,000 years ago mean anything for my life in 2022? Those are some of the basic questions that were being asked in Corinth during the Apostle Paul's time. And they were questions that needed to be addressed then, and they are questions that need to be addressed now. What's the big deal if Jesus is alive? How important is the resurrection for us? Well, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 15. The, the words will be up on the screen here, and I'm going to kind of go slowly through this for you. But the Bible says, and Paul is, is writing in, in conjunction with some of these questions that are going on there in Corinth. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say among, uh, some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So what Paul is saying is, is since we preach that Christ did rise from the dead, why are so many of you saying that, the, that, that, that there's no resurrection of those that have already passed on, those that have died? Verse 13, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And so Paul is kind of, he's, he's correlating the two together. Verse 14, if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain and your faith is also in vain. Paul is saying, our entire ministry, everything that we do, our entire faith, he's saying, it's useless. It's useless. Verse 15, yea, if we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so, be that the dead rise not. Basically, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, Paul is saying, we're just a bunch of liars. If Jesus Christ really didn't raise, then, then we're just, we're, we're just we're, we're a bunch of liars. And then verse 16, and if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Again, you kind of see very similar to verse 13. And if Christ, verse 17, be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. So he's saying if Jesus Christ didn't rise, what's the big deal if Jesus is alive? How does some 2,000 years ago, how does it apply to my life? The Apostle Paul says that if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then we are still very, very guilty for our sins. Then verse 18, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. All those believers who've died before us are still lost and they're still in that grave. And this has touched our church in the last year and a half. And so what Paul is saying is, what, what's the big deal about Easter? What's the big deal about the resurrection? Well, if there's no resurrection, those that have died before us that were in Christ, believers, then that grave was the very last place for them. Then verse 19, he says, And in this life only we have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable. He's saying, if our hope... And Christ is only for this life, only while we're breathing and kicking on this earth, then we ought to be more pitied than anybody else in the world. So Paul, he, he begins by telling us that 
Jesus' resurrection is what holds the whole basis of our entire faith together. And he says that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then all that we believe, all that we hold on to, all that we have sung about here this morning and then any other type of song is literally empty. It's useless. There's there's no value. Further, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Paul is saying, all of, the, all of us, all of us believers, you know what we are? We're just a bunch of liars. If you in any way proclaim the resurrected Savior and it really didn't happen, then we're all just a bunch of phonies. And all those that have died before us, they're still eternally lost. All humanity remains condemned because I don't think there's a single person in this room that would say, I'm not a sinner. I'm, I'm perfect. I don't ever lie. I don't ever do this. I don't ever bend the truth. All of us would say, you know, hey, I am a sinner. Well, if Jesus Christ didn't rise, then you are still carrying the guilt and the weight of that, my friend. But Paul didn't stop there. Paul went a little bit deeper. He said, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, all those who believe in him should be pitied because their whole life and belief structure, it's a complete waste of time. But the good news is that Paul didn't stop there. Verse number 20 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. I'll talk more about that first fruits concept there here in a moment. The resurrection is a proven historical fact. It's a matter of public record. It literally would have been headline news of its day. And yet, I just read a study three weeks ago that 80% of those that say they believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ do not attend church with other believers. 2022, brand new study that 80% of those that say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead. 80% of them do not gather with other local believers. As I prayed earlier, the great apologetic of when Christians sing together, it is amazing. You know what you're doing? We're singing biblical truth to each other, and it's awesome. Yet 80%, they don't even gather together. So what's the difference with Easter? What's all the, well, why are you making such a big do about it? What difference does the resurrection make? Well, because of Easter... Because Jesus did arise from the dead, let me say, first of all, our sins are forgiven. I don't think there's a single person alive or a person in this room that wouldn't want a do-over in some capacity of your life. You know, like you can kind of get a brand new clean slate to kind of wipe away some of the dumb stuff you've done. Have you ever done dumb stuff? Okay, I thank you, me and Debbie. I appreciate that, Debbie. Yeah, I'd say, Jay, me and you, sister, right? But we all have, right? All of us would be like, you know what? If I could have a little do-over with maybe the way I raised my kids or whatever you want to fill in the blank there, all of our failures, our problems, bad decisions, mistakes, all of the things that you have tortured yourself with the pain of the memories which you believe you have to pay for for the rest of your lives, Easter The resurrection of Jesus Christ is about having all of those forgiven, all of those done away with. It's the opposite 
of what verse 17 said, that if he didn't rise, Paul said, we're all still in our sins. We're all still guilty. We're all still under the weight of our sin. But because he did rise, we have the opportunity for our sins to be forgiven. It's the antithesis. It's the opposite of that. I love how Paul put it in Colossians 2, verse 13. And it says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's, a, that's like a biblical way of saying you've not been separated from that old man. You're, you're not in Christ, you're in your sin, you're in your flesh. So it's, Paul's kind of saying both of the same thing. It says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together, hath he made alive with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses. And then Paul goes on to say that, you know, Jesus, he, he literally, he wiped them all away. He literally took your sins, the things that were stacking up against you, and he completely wiped them away. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way and nailing it to his, talk to me, talk, nailed it to his what? To his cross. The ordinances, the, let me just put it into like today's vernacular, the list of your sins, the stuff that you'd like to have a do-over with. He took all of that. He took it off of your shoulders. He took it off from being over your head and he put it onto his. For you and for me. According to the scriptures, Christians, Christ has forgiven you of your sins. By the way, when Paul was being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, none of us were living, my friends. So every single thing Paul was writing about was future for you. So Jesus Christ was dying for your past, your present, and your future sins. Hence, all of yours were future when Jesus Christ was dying on the cross. He's utterly wiped out the damning evidence, everything that would, you would be afraid to let everyone else in this room know about. Jesus knows about it. And he took it upon himself. And he took it away. He blotted it out. He literally kind of just, if you let me put it this way, like he just wrote his name over it. No, no, no. Jesus took care of this. That's what he did in his life. It was amazing. But if he didn't rise, none of that would have mattered. That's what Paul's saying. What? 2,000 years ago, so what? That's what society says. Society says you're crazy for going to church today. Well, then we'd still be in our sins. But we have given the ability to be forgiven of our sins. He paid the full penalty for our sins when he became the perfect sinless sacrifice upon the cross. And by his death, he accomplished what God had planned for, from the beginning when he said, it is finished. What did Jesus mean by those words? It meant his work. It meant God's purpose, that his task had been completed, that it had been fulfilled. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we ask him to forgive us of our sins, and his, and his blood makes atonement for us, we can then be confident like the Apostle Paul is in Romans 8, verse number 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I no longer stand under that. I no longer have the weight of that sin. Why? Because Jesus Christ did arise. He rose and we can be forgiven of our sin. This brings us to the second difference that Easter makes. And that is that our lives have purpose. They have purpose. 
Your life is not in vain. Why? Because Jesus Christ did rise from the grave, verse 20 tells us. But earlier in the verses, Paul is saying, you know, it's all in vain. It's all useless. We are wasting our time. We're wasting our message. We're wasting our beliefs. We're wasting everything if Jesus Christ did not rise. So what is the Father's purpose, though, for the death of Jesus Christ? Well, John chapter 12, verse 46 says, Jesus said, I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. See, Jesus Christ, he came so that he could save the world. Romans 8, 5, 5, Romans 5, verse 8, but God commended, God demonstrates his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, so the world needs to know that God loves them. How does God love them? Sent Jesus to die. To die for what? For our sins. Romans 10 verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. See, it was the Father's purpose to send Jesus so that through his death, he would provide for us this eternal life, something that we do not deserve. But not only is it eternal life, but he wants to give us Abundant life also. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. See, Jesus came not only to forgive our sin, not only to give us eternal life, but to give you a meaningful life. He wants your life full of meaning and purpose. And God has orchestrated that in your life. He doesn't want our lives to be lived in vain, like Paul said would have happened if Jesus Christ had not raised from the dead. But again, our society, our society doesn't get it. Our society says, ah, so what if Jesus lives? You know, so what about some 2,000 years ago? Well, they say, you've got to try this. They've got to, you, 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 you've got to, you've got to have this. They're constantly selling something that if you're going to have meaning and purpose, unless you have a certain product, we're never going to be happy. We're never going to be productive. How did we ever get along in life without the Presto salad shooter? Anyone remember the Presto salad shooter? I'm going to remind you, Nick, can you play the video for us? Presto Salad Shooter Slicer Shredder. Point and shoot right where you want. Clean up easy, dishwasher safe, store anywhere. Original, cordless, and professional. Man, 1991 was awesome, wasn't it? The Salad Shooter. You had to have it. Did anyone in here actually buy one of those? Is it good, Kristen? Do we have to have it? <laughs> the society says you've got to have it. Oh, 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 how about this? How many of you remember Blockbuster? Man, I kind of miss Blockbuster. You've got all the, you know, you've got all these different streaming apps now and they all cost money. It's like, man, back in the day, you could go rent a movie. Nick, cue it up for us. Wouldn't it be great if you could get everybody's Christmas gift at the same place? Maybe you can. I'll let you in on a little secret. The Holiday Gift Center at Blockbuster. After all, everybody has a favorite movie. And who has more favorites than Blockbuster? Besides having more movies to rent, they also have more movies to give. Oh, plus they have all kinds of video games for the kids. So take care of everybody on your list. Make it a Blockbuster holiday. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. Blockbuster. I think we should put some stock back into Blockbuster and get it back. And praise God for high definition, right? Those were like in the 90s, those videos. 
But now it's how can you survive without the latest smart TV, the latest smartphone, a tablet, or a new computer? Or how is anybody supposed to really be able to work out unless you wear Under Armour, unless you wear The Rock's clothing? And I love that stuff, by the way. Or Nike, and you've got to have all of these different things. The reality is that most people are not really living. They're just existing. Most people, they get up in the morning, they go to work, they come home, they eat dinner, they watch TV, maybe work on the computer, and then they go to bed, and they do it over and over and over and over and over again. Others take the kind of King Solomon approach, where they're trying to find the purpose of their life through pleasure, through power, but what they don't see is at the end of Solomon and, how, and what he found, that it was all useless that it was completely a waste of time. Ecclesiastes 2.17 says, Therefore I hated life. Solomon said that he hated life. He had everything that the world would have said was a good life. He had the money. He had the land. He had the, he, he had the women. He had everything that society says you've got to have to have a good life. And he says, I hated it. Why? Because the work that which is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. The good life. It's not that. Solomon says it's not, it, it's not seeking everything that the world says you have to have. No, we're created for a purpose. God created us. He has a plan for our lives even before we were born. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The word workmanship in today's language would be masterpiece, meaning a work of art. What is being said is that each of us are God's unique work of art. Therefore, God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for me, and he has a plan for you, and he wants us to fulfill that plan. The tragedy is that few of us have ever discovered it. We just go about life. We just kind of have our heads in the sand, and, and we're, not, we're not acknowledging that, no, 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 you know what the resurrection does? It forgives you of your sin, and it also gives you purpose. It's not all vanity. It's not all useless, empty way of living. And as we grow closer to the Lord and we mature in our faith, we're able to say like the Apostle Paul, but none of these things move me. Neither count on my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You see, with each of us, we've been uniquely designed by God. And God has given us this purpose, this ultimate purpose in mind. And the closer that we get to the Lord, we learn that our lives are here simply to glorify God. And that absolutely is meaning go to work. That absolutely is filling out the paperwork that you have to do, whatever it is. It is doing life, but we're doing it to glorify God. And everyone that comes into contact with us, we're thinking, all right, how can, how can the good news get to this person? That's what Paul's saying here. He's like, none of this other stuff moves me. What the world has to offer. No, no, no. I don't want that vanity. Instead, I want to be used for the glory of God and to be a um, person that shares the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. But the question is, is how do we accomplish this? How do we accomplish it? Well, we accomplish it through the power of Christ. Through the power of Christ. Now, what kind of power does Christ have? 
Oh, I'm glad that you asked, or I asked it for you. John 10, verse 17 says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down, catch this, I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Jesus is speaking. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. Pilate and the soldiers and the religious leaders, mm -mm, it wasn't in their power. Jesus is saying, I lay my life down and I have the power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Lord. So it was the resurrection that proved Jesus' power, the power over death and the grave. The religious leaders of that day, we'd probably call them the skeptics of our day today. They mocked Jesus saying, hey, you know what? If you're truly the son of God, if you really are who you say you are, hey, why don't you come off down that cross? That's what they said to him. If you're really God, hey, show us that you're God and come off down that cross. But Jesus wanted to display his power in a far different way. He was going to allow himself to be killed by the Romans. He was going to allow himself to be placed into a tomb and have the Roman seal, the signet on it, like there is no one that is going to get in here and steal this body. But three days later, he's lying in that grave, and then up from the grave he arose, as we sang about here this morning. That's the type of power that we are given. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? So you think about that. So... Jesus' power is awesome, but you have greatness in front of that, and then the exceeding greatness of his power to us word, to us that believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which, notice this, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So Paul is saying the power that Christ used to raise himself up. Remember, he said, no man takes my life. I lay it down and I take it up again. That's the power that Jesus Christ has. And the apostle Paul is telling us that in the ultimately through the spirit, his Holy Spirit within us, the power that you have and the power that I have. What kind of power is this? It's the power of the resurrection, Paul is telling us. So not only do we have a purpose for our lives, but Jesus has given us the incredible power to live out that purpose. Well, I just, I just can't get it right. I've just, I've just got these habits that I just can't break. I've just got these, these, these sins that are, that, that are ever besetting in my life. I've just got these individuals that I just, I, I can't forgive. We need to stop saying that we can't because we can in the resurrection power. Ah, what is Easter all about? 2,000 years ago. Well, it means that you can have your sins forgiven. And it means you're given an immense purpose that your life is not in vain and that purpose is infused with power as well as promises. J Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way, the truth, Man, truth today is so suspect in our world. It's whatever you think truth is. No, no, Jesus, I am the truth. I am the way. And he says, I am the life. Death no longer has a reign over him. He conquered death. I am the truth. I am the way. I am life. And here's what he says. No man comes into the Father but by me. What a promise. So we're talking about this purpose. We're talking about th th this, this plan that God has for you. And then you've got this beautiful promise that in Jesus Christ, you can have the home in heaven. Matthew 20, verse number 18 says, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, 
And the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day, he's going to rise again. So Easter proves, this was, there's a prophecy, right? Easter proves that God keeps his promises. This is what Moses and the Apostle Paul tells us about. In Numbers chapter 23, God is not a man that he should lie. He's never going to lie. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For the promises of God find their yes in him. So this power comes with these amazing promises of God. And so you can trust them. God says, hey, I'm going to raise my son from the dead. Jesus said, I'm going to take my life back. He did that. We can trust these promises. This, the promises of God, they find their yes in him. And then in dealing with the most common malady known to humanity, he makes this promise in John 5, verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. The reality is, is that everyone in this room is going to die. That's a given. None of us are going to live forever. Yet as common and well-known and understood as that fact is, no one really likes to discuss or talk about it because we're scared to death of it. Did you catch that? We all know it. Most of us, our grandparents at least, have, have gone on to eternity, whether that's heaven or hell. We'll talk about that here in a moment. But, but it's like it, it, death is a reality. So if I could say something without it coming, coming across too harsh, only a fool would go through life totally unprepared for something that is going to happen. The writer of Hebrews says that it is appointed for man, for every single person, to die. And then after that comes the judgment. After that comes the reckoning. All of us are going to live our lives. Hopefully we're living according to God's purpose and according to our sins being forgiven. And we will die. And then comes the judgment. We will give an account. We will have a reckoning before God. So here is the question. Do you know where you would spend eternity? Then what do you base that knowledge on can i put it a different way what promise do you claim to know where you're going to spend eternity when you die and that leads me to the next point here because of jesus's resurrection thirdly our future is secure See, verse 20 tells us that Jesus is the, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. Can I put that into like the terminology that we would understand? Jesus was saying, hey, I'm rising and there's going to be a whole lot more after me. That's basically what it means. He's like, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the first one, I'm the first fruits, and because of me, there are going to be a whole lot more after me. Now, if I were to take a survey and ask people if they were sure that they were going to heaven, you know what the most common answer is? 
I hope so. I hope so. But forgive me if I'm wrong, but isn't that something that we should want to be 100% sure of? Where we'd spend our eternity? Most people base their answers upon wrong information, maybe wrong motives, the misunderstandings perpetuated by science, religion, materialistic culture. Some believe salvation by sincerity. If you polled like kind of society, they'd be like, hey, as long as you're really, really, really sincere, then you will go to heaven. Well, we know that we can be sincere about a whole lot of things and it not be true. Like I was really, really, really sincerely wanting it to be 50 degrees this morning, but it wasn't. It's 36. I was wrong. Sincerity. Hey, 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 as long as I, as long as I, as long as I really believe this, as long as I believe that, you know, after I die, I'm going to become whatever, as long as we're sincere about that. Well, others believe salvation is through good works. They believe that the good works are going to ultimately outweigh the bad works and they're going to get into the, get into the good graces of God somehow. But notice what the Bible says in Ephesians 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Why? Because you know what we would do? We'd start boasting. We'd start bragging. If it was all about what we could do, we'd be like, hey, I'm in heaven because of fill in the blank. And then someone else would be like, oh, that's nothing. I'm in here because of this. You know what all of us are going to be able to say? I'm here because of Jesus. I'm here because of Jesus. Others say that salvation is by subtraction. They say, hey, man, if I'll just give up this, 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 and this, and this, then I'll go to heaven. All kinds of vices and a myriad of, of, of stuff. Right? But Proverbs says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Oh, it's great to try to clean up your life, and we ought to, but we don't do that for eternity. We don't do that so we can gain heaven. It, it, it has nothing to do really with us. Some, they take the route of salvation by ritual. They pray certain kinds of prayers. They perform certain rituals. But you know what they say. You don't, just because you are, you know, sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christian. Just like sitting in a chicken coop doesn't make you a chicken. It was nice hearing chickens this morning on the Dunn Ranch. That was cool. So it's not just because we go to church. Sometimes we just pray certain things. Uh, that's not why we go to heaven. Well, some believe that there's salvation by heritage. Well, because my parents were saved. Or I grew up in this church and they are connecting it to that. And then there are those who believe in salvation by comparison. They say, well, at least I'm not as bad as Joey or Jill. Are there any Joeys or Jills in here? Okay. I tried to be safe with those names. Or at least I have not killed anyone. Or whatever the case is. But the Bible says that it, it's not wise for us to compare ourselves. It's actually foolish for us to compare ourselves with ourselves, is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Salvation and eternal life with God comes only through having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. John 17, 3 tells us, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's where eternal life comes from, my friend. It's in Christ. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. We sang that at the sunrise this morning. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
from the dead. What we could say is that salvation is not so much what we know, but who we know. There was a father that took his son and his seven friends to the local fair. And so he got a bunch of tickets and they would start going on rides and he would give his son a ticket and then he would give his seven friends a ticket. And after multiple rides, all of a sudden he was giving his son a ticket and there were now eight hands that were there looking for a ticket. And the father was like, wait a minute, who are you? He's like, I'm your, I'm your son's new best friend. And he said I could ride it. And so now the father would give his son a ticket and now eight throughout the rest of the day. You know, one day we're going to have to give an account for our lives. One day we're going to have to, maybe with some form of an entrance exam into heaven, I don't know. Why are you, why, why are you here? Well, because my, my parents went to church. I'm, I'm, I'm here because, because I'm better than, better than Joey and Jill. I'm here because I was really, really, really sincere. I gave up a whole lot of stuff. I did a whole lot of ritualistic types of things. Don't I get to pass? And I think we're going to hear, sorry, no ticket. But I think if we were to come, we were to say, I'm your son's, Jesus's new best friend. And he said I could come. I think of the cross and I think of the, I think of the two thieves on the cross. And I think of how when you read the stories, they both were cursing Jesus. They both were, they, 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 they both were mocking him. They both were making fun of him. But then one begins to observe Jesus over the course of the cross, the time frame. He hears what Jesus says. He hears words come off of Jesus' lips like, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The very ones that are crucifying him, he's saying, God the Father, would you please forgive them? And so this, this thief, he, he hears that. And I can just, I can kind of just imagine that thief kind of coming to heaven. It's like, what are you doing here? Like, I don't know. What do you mean? What do you mean you don't know? It's like, well, I was just, I was told I can come. Well, what do you, what do you, what do you base it off of? Do you, do you, do you, do you know all about the justification by faith? What's that? Well, you've, you've never been to church. You've, you've never done any ritualistic things. You've never given up anything. Clearly, you're on the cross because you didn't give up anything. Why are you here? Because the man on the middle cross said I could come. Does the man on the middle cross say that you can come? Have your sins been forgiven? Because if you haven't, that's what Easter is all about is accepting what Christ did for you. We're celebrating the resurrection. But listen, if he never rise, we're all dying in our sins. We all have no purpose whatsoever in our life. And our future, it's not secure, but he did rise.
and we place our faith and we place our trust in Jesus Christ. Listen to what John 3, 15 says, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should perish, but have everlasting life. What difference does Easter make? Why is it the most important event of human history? Like I said at the beginning, because Jesus died and he was buried, but he did not stay in that grave. Human history has never been the same because of this. And you can live out your purpose because we have a risen Christ. Easter changes everything. Has it changed you? Hey, Christian, hey, celebrate that your sins are forgiven. Quit beating yourself up over it. Quit, quit living in despair over past sins. They've been blotted out. They've been taken away from you. Live in the freedom that is in Christ. Allow him to renew your affections so you don't continue sinning like that. But live in that freedom. Christian, know that this resurrection means that you have a purpose. Your life isn't in vain. It's not meant to be useless. It's not meant to just simply wake up, go to work, eat, watch TV, go to bed. It's not meant for that. All through that of waking up, going to work, and eating and interacting with people is for the kingdom. For God to be glorified through what we say and the way that we act. Yes, you have to go to a secular job. Of course you do. Yes, you've got to go to restaurants. Yes, you watch TV and you watch movies. Of course. But the purpose changes for the Christian. God, use me, as Paul said. And I count none of this worthy. I just want to be used for your honor and for your glory. And the security of your future. Believer, start living like heaven's your home. The worst that anybody could ever do to you is send you to heaven. So let's live that way. I don't mean that we live foolishly, but let's live boldly for the cause of Christ. And then I don't know everyone's hearts here. Some of you I met for the very first time today and thank you for worshiping with us. I, I, I don't know. But would the middle man in the cross say that you can come? Would the son of the father say, hey, hey, this is my new friend. They've just received me. Give him a ticket. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior? Oh, it is as simple as calling unto the Lord and saying, God, would you save me through your son, Jesus Christ? I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that. And God, I believe according to the scriptures that you died on that cross some 2,000 years ago for me. You could make that decision right now in your heart and in your mind. And the man on the middle cross would say, he's with me. He's with me. The resurrection, it changes everything. Everything. It changes your future. It changes your present because you don't live under that sin. So you can live forth to the praise of God. Aren't you glad he rose? I'm glad I'm not carrying that guilt anymore. I'm glad I'm not just wandering around aimlessly. I'm glad God's given me a direction. And I'm glad that no matter what happens in this life, there is a secure future for the believer. 
And so those of you that have had others pass on before you and they were a believer, he did rise. So they're not still there. They're in heaven with him. Praise God for that. The resurrection, Easter, changes everything. Head bowed, eyes closed, please. I wonder this morning if you would be able to say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I were to take my last breath right now, that heaven would be my home. Would please, please no one looking around. This is a very private moment. Heaven would be my home. I know that Jesus is my Savior. Would you lift your hand up that so we can rejoice with you? God bless you. God bless you. Might there be someone just like I did not embarrass those? I would not embarrass anyone. You'd say, Pastor Ryan, I'm not, I'm not certain that heaven would be my home. Would you please pray for me? Would anyone raise their hand and say, that's me? I'm not 100% sure heaven would be my home. Anybody? I won't embarrass you. I simply just want to pray with you. Anyone? Christian, the resurrection indeed changes everything. Would you get out from underneath the guilt of your sin and begin to live the purpose that God has intended for you and live as if your eternity is already secure in Jesus Christ?